We're going to look at quite a, a simple text, uh, which I believe actually is, uh, is very profound, and its implications are, are far-reaching and lasting. Uh, and the text tells us that Jesus uh, has, a te- has a task uh, to fulfill. So you need John chapter 19 and verse 30. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, uh, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. And the reason that we're doing that this morning is that uh, we're looking as a series on the seventh saying on the cross. We're at number six. You get number seven uh, next week. Uh, but what I want to do, is, first of all, is to look at the, uh, the crucifixion. Uh, the, if you like, the, the barbaric uh, execution that Jesus suffered up, so that, suffered, that is summed up in these three words. It is finished. Now Jim Bish, uh, Bishop, in his book, the, the Day That Christ Died, writes this. He writes, The executioner laid the crossbeam behind Jesus and brought him to the ground quickly by grabbing his arm and pulling him backwards. As soon as Jesus fell, the beam was fitted under the back of his neck and on each side. The soldiers quickly knelt on the inside of the elbows and the thorns were then pressed uh, into his scalp. The executioner then probed the wrist of Jesus to find the little hollow spot. And when he found it, he took one of the square cut iron nails, raised the hammer over his head and brought it down with extreme force. Two soldiers then grabbed the side of the crossbeam and lifted. And as they pulled up, they dragged Jesus by the wrists. With every breath, he would have groaned. When the soldiers reached the upright, the four of them began to lift the crossbeam higher until the feet of Jesus were now off the ground. The body must at this point have writhed in pain. When the crossbeam was set firmly, the executioner would kneel before the cross. Two soldiers hurried to help and each one took hold of a leg at the calf. And the ritual was to nail the right foot over the left. And this was probably the most difficult part of the work. If the feet were pulled downwards and nailed close to the foot of the cross, the prisoner died quickly than wanted, more quickly than wanted. Over years, Romans had learned to push the feet upwards on the cross so that the condemned man could lean on the nails, stretch himself upwards that would give him a chance to breathe. Chuck Swindle uh, says, excruciating pain accompanied every upward push for breath and every downward release from fatigue. Each movement cut deeper into bone and tendon and raw muscle. Fever would set in, inflaming the wounds and creating an insatiable thirst. Waves of hallucinations would drift the uh, the victim in and out of consciousness. 
and in time flies and other insects would find their way to the open wounds. At this point, Jesus knew he had accomplished everything that his father had sent him to do. So it is finished. Uh, doesn't refer to I am physically finished, but actually it refers to something else. And if you look uh, deeper into this, the, the Greek word it is finished comes from uh, the word uh, tetelestai, tetelestai. And the word actually is uh, very unfamiliar to us, but in Greek language, even today, the word is quite familiar. It would have, it's used in everyday life uh, and is used and was used in everyday life in those days. It would be something similar to a servant reporting to his or her master saying, I have finished the work that you have given me to do. Or in terms of uh, um, religious ceremonies, it would have been known where the priest in those days uh, would have examined an animal, seen that it was faultless, and this word would then apply. It basically means, it is finished, means it is finished, it stands finished, and it always will be finished. That is a wonderful statement from the cross, isn't it? It is finished, it stands finished, it always will be finished. What a cry. Father, I have completed the work that you have given me. I have finished it. It will stand finished and it always will be finished. And these words are not speaking about Jesus' life, but actually the task in which he came to do. And Max Lucado writes this, the history-long plan of redeeming man was finished. The message of God to man was finished. The work by Jesus as a man on earth was finished. The task of selecting uh, ambassadors to represent him was finished. The job was finished. The song was sung. The blood had poured. The sacrifice made. The sting of death had removed. It was over. It is finished. Warren uh, Wiersbe says this in his commentary. Perhaps the most meaningful of uh, tetelestai was that used by merchants, still used today, where Jesus is crying out from the, from the cross, your debt is paid in full, tetelestai. And when he gave himself on the cross, Jesus fully met the demands of a holy law. Our debt is paid in full, it is finished. We can see that in 1 Peter chapter 3, uh, verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for, for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. That work is done. We have been brought to God by a work on the cross. So Jesus' word, it is finished. So what I'd like to do this morning is try and give us some implications for that in our own life. Try and sort of say, well, what has he finished then? What does that mean? And so that we can, in fact, I'd like us to, I know it's a, a difficult subject, the cross of Christ. But I'd like you to go out rejoicing in the implications of the cross uh, for us. So I want to suggest first that he has finished dealing with our sin. It is done with. None of the Old Testament sacrifices could actually take away sins. Their blood only covered sins. 
But the Lamb of God shed his blood, and the blood takes away the sin of the world, the whole world. That's why John the Baptist refers to Jesus and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's what he came to do. That is what he was dealing with. You can see the writer to the Hebrews actually uh, bringing that back into focus in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3, where he said, He made purification for our sins. He That's Jesus. He was the one that did it. He was the one that brought um, purification. What did he do? He dealt with our sins. He made purification of our sin. My sin. Your sin. He made purification for you. And what's so important to understand in that short verse is that he had made. Which means he's not making it. It's not that he will make it. It's not when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will know the feeling of having your sins dealt with. No, it was a once offering, once and for all. It is finished. He has dealt with your sin, all of your sin. That's the sin that you have made to this point. That's the sin that you will make today. And all the sins that you will go on to make until you get to glory, he has made pure purification for all your sins he has dealt with them always dealt with them you are allowed to smile it is just extraordinary 1 John chapter 1 verse 7 if we walk in the light he is in the light we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin all sin come on The Greek word, uh, katharizo, is to declare clean. You have been declared clean. The way that Jesus, what Jesus has done, and the perception of the Father right now, as soon as you stand before him, it doesn't matter what you have done, what you are doing, what you will do, the perception of the Father is the one that stands before me, has been declared clean. It is an extraordinary thing. Look at these scriptures. You know all these. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 14. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Revelation 1 verse 4 and 5. John to the seven churches which are in Asia. Grace to you. Peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. From the seven spirits that are before the throne and from Jesus Christ and the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. We are free, folks. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood. What? The forgiveness of sins. All our sins are forgiven. What? How does he do that? According to his riches of his grace. He just does it. He just, uh, it's non, can he just says, oh, look, I know you will sin, but let's deal with it this way. Let me give the riches of, your gra- of my grace upon you. So I want you to know this this morning. Please do know this. 
the motivation for sanctification, that is holiness, the motivation for sanctification is always this. What Jesus has done for us. You cannot be sanctified by making yourself holy. You can't do that. You have got to grasp the wonder at what Jesus has done for you. That is the only way that you will be any better on this earth and serving him. Grasp the wonder, the wonder. My sins have been dealt with once and for all. You think, my goodness. So the consequence of sin is dealt with completely and death is defeated. Death's gone. (laughs) Death's gone. Magnificent. We just go out to the bodybuilders and go, you won't like that, but you won't end up looking like that. But you see this body. (laughs) Death is defeated in mine. You could walk out, can't you? Stomach out. Death is defeated. Come on. Because what are they trying to do? They're trying to defeat death. We have defeated it. Well, he has. So, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honour because of the suffering of death, so that the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. He tasted death so that you do not have to taste death. Let me read... um, a guy called John MacArthur. Now, I want to explain to you, John MacArthur, he's very reformed. He would not like me. <laughs> he's not charismatic. But I want to say this to him. John, although you don't like me, I like you. <laughs> and I just want to read you something. Because it is magnificent. So bear with me, because he, he rambles at the start, but you get it at the end. Okay. John, who said he's like me? Who did that? Was that you? I'm really glad that you're going. Be quiet when you've gone. No, it won't, will it? No. No. God will give us somebody louder. That's it. John MacArthur writes, he says, John MacArthur in his commentary on Hebrews says this, we see the extent of Christ's humiliation in his death. Angels cannot die, but Jesus came to die. He went so far beneath the angels that he did something that they can never do. His death was not easy or costless. It was a suffering death. Christ's exit from the land of the living was not calm and peaceful, but was accompanied by outward torture and inner agony. The death he tasted was the curse of all sin. What Jesus felt while dying on the cross was the total agony of every soul in hell for all eternity, put together, suffered in just a few hours. That's immense, yeah? All punishment for all sin of all time. That was the depth of his death. He was guilty of no sin, yet he suffered for all sin. God sent his son, and his son willingly came to die and to redeem man. 
Then he quotes Galatians. But when the fullness of time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order that he might redeem those who were under the law. Jesus Christ, in his death, purposed to die as a substitute for everyone. And it is only by the son tasting death as a man that we are free from death. This is wonderful. He says this. Historically, kings have had someone to taste their food to protect them from possible poisoning. Jesus took the cup of poison that was ours to drink. He drained it to the dregs. He substituted his own death for ours so that we might be released from death and have access to God. You want to... Do you want to just go and have a word with him and say thank you? I'm just going to pop to heaven for a couple of minutes here. Just go. You know, that thing, do you ever wonder what that means when, when it says, and the Apostle Paul was in the seventh and nineteenth heaven? I just wonder sometimes where absolute, what was happening with him? He was, he just got, tra- and you, you, you can imagine he's transported up there. This is not theologically correct, by the way. This is just me. But you would, wouldn't you just for a minute want to go, I just want to thank you that you have dealt with. I want to thank you that I will not die. Do you just want to pop up for a bit? Oh, man to man. Just thank him. Box of chocolates, bit of flowers, glass of wine. Do you not want to do that? You know, it's sort of, you know, sometimes we, we are sort of, you know, that's what worship is about. What is worship? It's about, it's an earthly box of chocolates, bottle of wine, and that's what it is. It is that, it is celebrating what we have received. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 and 15, just so that we get on theological ground. Since therefore the children share in the flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. We've been delivered from it with an incredible work on the cross. That's why the writer, uh, the Apostle Paul, could have a laugh and say this, death, where is your victory then? It's sort of, the, it's sort of madness, isn't it? Death, bring it on. You know, that's what they say. Death, where is your sting? Come on then. It's that sort of thing. The sting of death is sin. The power of of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through Jesus Christ. I don't die as men know death. So sin's defeated. Death's defeated. And we are now reconciled to God. I can have access to God. What? It is like that, isn't it? What? The creator of the heavens and the earth, the one that knows the stars by name, the all-powerful one, the one that sort of goes boo and waters open, you know, the one that speaks to sons and they stop still, I can have access to him. Romans chapter 5, verses 8 and 11. But God shows us his, his love for us, that while we were sinners, 
Christ died for us. There it is again. Since therefore we've been now justified by his blood, much more will we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more. Now we are reconciled. We shall be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have, we have received, we have, hear that, received reconciliation. You have done, I have done nothing. But we have received reconciliation. That's extraordinary, isn't it? What did, what did I bring into this relationship? I brought in nothing. What did God do? He, he brought reconciliation to us. Who was offending here? I was. But he still brings reconciliation. How does this work? We've broken his laws. Yeah? We're just rubbish, really, aren't we? <laughs> just, just awful. We've belittled his glory. You know, we just walk on his creation and think, pa, you know, mountain, hmm, you know, stream, heart, tree, cat, dog. All we do, all that no, doesn't make any difference. You know, we've neglected his friendship. We've not sort of, we don't, we don't involve him in our lives. We don't need God. We've broken trust with his promises. He gave us his word. We thought, no, don't need that. Just put that one on the shelf over there. We've rejected his right and authority to lead us. The Bible says we are rebels, we're aliens. Uh, But long before we arrived on the scene, God purchased reconciliation. Isn't that mad? The price was paid before you and I were born. That's extraordinary. So Paul says in verse 11, all that's left here to do in being reconciled to God is receive it. I think it's a glorious phrase. Please receive your reconciliation. Receive it. Please don't perform for it. Apparently, uh, I did last week a great impression of a horse. Uh, if you are a visitor here, you will have to listen to iTunes, but I'm not doing it again, okay? But apparently I did. But it doesn't, I don't have to perform, I don't have to do magnificent sermons to be able to be reconciled to God. You know, I've got to do better, sure, but I don't have to perform for it. I don't have to earn it. I don't have to work my way. Well, actually, if I, if I work for the poor and do all those sort of stuff, and yeah, these things, I, you know, I, I, can, I can get God's favor. It's almost as if that if I do these things, God goes, hey, look, they're good. Let's just help those. No, that doesn't work either. You don't have to think, as, as I used to think as a strict Baptist, a good strict Baptist at that, by the way, and the, the best thing that I could do was suffer for it. That was what I thought that I could do. If I could punish myself a little bit more, a little bit harder, and all that sort of stuff, God would just lift his face up towards me. No, you don't. And you see that, don't you, people? If I can just suffer for the gospel and all that sort of stuff. Look, suffering will come, but it doesn't bring you to God. He just doesn't. You don't either pay for it, do you? You know, you don't do that. You know, you don't, you're not going to do it. Isn't, we would love you to give. We would love you to give more. In fact, we'd love you to give loads. 
In fact, please give loads. No, sorry. <laughs> but, <laughs> but in the end, in the end, what, whether, whether you stick this 5p or this 3,000 pounds, that's prof- prophecy, by the way. You know put that in. If you do that, actually, it has made no difference in regard to your relationship with God. You have to obey what it biblically says about God, but you can't pay for it. It doesn't mean that. The Greek word is katalasso, which means that God has returned favor with. That God has given favor. It is, it is to receive one into favor. It is to, to bring your friendship into the equation. Paul doesn't uh, conceive it at all as his task to reconcile God to us God has initiated it you are reconciled to God it is his gift to you please you can live now with full access to your father there is not ever a time that you need to think in your head because have you heard this you that I'm not sure that I can hear God right now let me just tell you, biblically, that is poppycock. That's what it, the Greek is. The Greek is for not hearing poppycock. It is absolutely rubbish. It is true because the only problem here is not God. It's you. God is chasing you with reconciliation. So here you are. I can't hear from God. And God's going, here, here, tapping you on the shoulder all the time. The reason is that probably sometimes you have to be still and know that he is God. You have to activate the promises into your life. No, where two or three gathered there I am what does Matthew say I am with you even to the ends of the age I am always with you the reason that you is the reason that you're not hearing from God is not God you and there's probably some other problem God has chased after you with a with a legal statement that says we are reconciled come on come in it's the whole prodigal son thing what does the prodigal son do he runs and he thinks oh if I go back to my father's house this is the way that we sometimes think particularly if we've sinned if I come back to my father's house what will happen is that I can work as his slave for a little bit and then I can work my way up and maybe I could serve in the Christ rotor. And we sort of have that in our mind. And it's not, it's absolute poppycock. Because the Father is on the hill looking, straining every sinew, rising up his cloak and runs to meet you with everything there is got, places a ring on your finger and says, let's do the fatted calf thing. That's what it means. He's there for you. You have been reconciled. You don't have any more access to him. Here's the theological things, folks. When you get to heaven, all you will see is what you should already know, as it were. It's what it is. Heaven isn't, shouldn't be a change. You already have exactly the same access to the Father that you will when you get to heaven. It's been purchased for you by Jesus. I love it. We'll move on. Oh, did I do that one? No, no, is that two? Oh, yeah, the finished work gives us access to God. Therefore, we've been reconciled. We have access. How does this work then? No one uh, was allowed access to the Holy of Holies, but as you know, the high priest uh, on the Day of Atonement, once a year, 
It's strange, isn't it? The Day of Atonement. 17th day, sorry, 10th day of the seventh month. How did they choose that then? Was it his birthday or something? Well, I don't know. Well, anyway, he was to serve as a reminder of the daily, weekly, monthly sacrifices uh, um, at, the bull, at, uh, at the altar. The burnt offerings, though, were not sufficient to atone for sin. So Hebrews 10 verse 11 tells us every priest stands daily at his service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. On this one day of year, the atoning blood was brought into the Holy of Holies, the divine throne room, by the priest as the representative of the people. The high priest first sanctified himself. He had a ceremonial bath. That's like, ladies, the equivalent of a spa. No, I'm only joking, but it's just, just, just in case you're drifting. So, okay, so he had a ceremonial bath. And then he put on white garments. And then he made atonement for himself and the other priests by sacrificing a bullock. And God was enthroned there in the sanctuary on the mercy seat, but no one could approach it uh, except through the, medita- the uh, mediation of the high priest who offered this quite gory blood sacrifice. And after sacrificing uh, a bullock, it's, it's horrible, there would have been blood everywhere. The high priest chose a goat as a sin offering and he sacrificed it and then he sprinkled the blood on and around the mercy seat and fri- finally the scapegoat. Uh, bearing the sins of the people was sent into the wilderness running out and the scapegoat symbolized pardon for sin through the sacrifice I just want you to imagine for a moment the scapegoat running through because as the scapegoat was let out and ran into the wilderness the people would have gone the scapegoat and they would have gone we are forgiven the priest has done his work the little goat would I don't know what goat goats don't go bar do they Ruth what do goats do Pardon? What was that? And you laughed at my horse impression last week. Goats go mare. Okay. So the goats went. Uh, Yes. And the people went. Oh, no. no. Come on. Right. We're going to do this together. Right. All together. The goats went. And the people went, oh, come on, we got there. Thank you. Oh, dear. If you're a visitor, you're not going to come back again, are you? (laughs) Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 and 24. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way that he has opened for us through the curtain, that he is his flesh. And since we have a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, our bodies washed with pure water. We don't have to go through the rigmaroles anymore. No more goats. Thank you. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16 though. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and grace in help, uh, grace to help in times of need. 
everyone actually needs help. Do you agree? Oh, good. Because I don't think I and you are not God. I, I think we would all agree we've got weaknesses. I think we'd all agree that we get confused, me more than most, that we have limitations of kind, of all different kinds. Therefore, we need help. But every one of us has something else. We also need help, but we also have those sins that we need, that we live with. And therefore, at the bottom of our hearts, there can be sometimes a dilemma in the fact that we do not deserve, we think we don't deserve the help that God wants us to give. And we feel trapped. I, I want to just say this. I need help to live. I just find living a bit difficult sometimes. I know that I, I need help uh, to, to be a husband. I need help to be a dad. I need help because sometimes, even me in this job, I feel lonely. just feel lonely sometimes. I need help to do this job. If, you, if I may say, and then you can cut it off iTunes. You know, there are times when I thought it would be easier to just be an engineer. Just thought that often. Sometimes I wonder, you know, how long will I be well for? Just wonder that, you know, will, will I be well? I think sometimes think I need help with and have help, you know, to do the finances. I, I find managing finances just one of those things that I cannot do properly, can't add up. And I just think, God, will you help me? I need help. And then the di- dilemma is, well, what can I do, therefore? Well, I can try and do and be superhuman and say, you know, you know who, who doesn't need, you know, I don't need help. It's interesting with, um, with Lewis's two boys. Lewis's two boys have learnt a phrase. So, uh, and I don't know whether they've learnt it in Nigeria or learnt it in, 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 uh, in Wales. But if you go to, to Lewis's boys, you can try this, but now they know, so you can't. Is if I say to them, boys, how are you? They go, I am fine. <laughs> so, how are you, Victor? I am fine. How are you, Divine? I am fine. You know, he's got no teeth, but he's fine. <laughs> it's, it's, it's fine. But don't you do that? Come on. Don't you do that? We do that all the time, don't we? You know, so you can be superhuman. Or actually, what you can do is you can think, well, the way that I need, that I'll solve my help is that I will go and enjoy myself and throw myself into, if you like, a pool of earthly pre- pleasure for the rest of my life. Let me enjoy life. I don't need help. I can go and enjoy life. The other side of it is that you can just simply give in to despair. I need help for so many things. And you just go around in a circle, don't you? Oh, no. I've got a wife. Flipping heck. (laughs) And when you you wake up to the thing, not only have I got a wife, I've got two children and you should see them. And you think... uh, uh, and you sort of you sort of begin to sort of go down like this uh, and I don't know whether my mum used to say this thing and I know it's a superstitious thing but my mum used to say it always happens in threes <laughs> and you sort of begin to have that sort of beginning that the whole world is stacked up and it is going to destroy you 
that everybody, you know, even the neighbour, the neighbour said, hi, I don't mean hi, they're after me. And you sort of almost be, begin to sort of think that you are drowning in despair. But God declares over this hopeless conclusion, Jesus Christ, Christ became a high priest to to shatter the, the wall that stood in front of you so that you could have access to God, so that he could give you help. That is the wonderful thing. You are not helpless. You can cry, help. And he goes, I'm on my way. I'm on my way. Grace to help. There is grace to help. The finished work means that we are fully accepted. Fully accepted. What a wonderful word. Ephesians 1 verse 3 and 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ Jesus with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, even as he chose us before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In his love, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved verse 6 we're blessed in the beloved we're accepted in the beloved we are perceived with grace upon we are endued with special honour we are highly favoured we are warmly welcomed that's what all that is about Therefore, through the death of Jesus Christ, there is no enmity any longer between you and God. There is no hostility between you and God. Please hear this. God cannot hate you. Hear that prophetically, biblically, emotionally. God cannot hate you. You can hate you. People can hate you. But God cannot that's good to have a mate like that, isn't it, really? Fantastic. Thank you, Belinda, and I loved your goat impression. But it is wonderful. You cannot hear this. You cannot be more accepted in God than you are right now. Heaven, again, does not change your status. You are highly favoured now. You are endued with special honour. You are welcomed warmly. And when you get to heaven, it will be exactly the same. That is it. Heaven doesn't change it. It is done. It is finished. Favour is upon you. You are accepted. Ephesians 2 verse 14 and 16. For he himself is our peace who has, who has made both one and has broken down the flesh of what? The dividing wall of hostility. He abolished the law of the commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God through the cross, thereby putting to death hostility hostility is gone he doesn't hate you he loves you for God so loved the world who is the world? you me fantastic for God so loved me horse impression no I'm not going to do it another day finished work secures your salvation short one and then as all preachers do a climactic but boring end okay here's 
His sacrifice never needs to be repeated. Never needs to be repeated. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 14. For by one single offering he has, made, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. One single offering. It has been done. Everything has been done. Your salvation is secured. If you have repented, if you have got faith in Christ, if you are following him, if you know that uh, your sins are forgiven, if you know that you've received grace, that is it. And the strange thing is, well, well, what does that involve? You know, what if I go away and all that sort of stuff? Well, it is done. It is done. Absolutely done. The death of Jesus Christ remove sin forever to those who belong to him we are totally secure we are secure let me just read you some of these things but i want you to hear this because i think these things actually stop you from sinning if you know them so you because often the the million dollar question is i know i'm saved but what happens if tomorrow i sin and go this way Well, if you know the truth, the truth sets you free and you don't want to sin, do you? That's the thing. It's the truth. So you get, you're freed by the truth and you look at sin and you go, nah. And you just carry on. You think, no, this is better. This is much better. Hear this. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand my father who has given them to me is greater than all he has them argue with him then and no one will be able to snatch them out of my father's hand 1 Peter 3 verse 5 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable to an inheritance that is undefiled to an inheritance that is unfading what is it? kept for you in heaven by God's power are being guarded through the faith of salvation ready to be revealed in the time. Where is your salvation? It is not with you. It is not with you. Sometimes they say, well, I'm not sure, you know, I don't feel so. Your salvation is not with you at all. When you were purchased with your price and all the stuff that needs to be paid, you were seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The Andan ticket was placed in heaven and a stake was placed in heaven. Andan is in heaven. All, all that happens now is that she just spends the journey going there. She was snatched, as it were, out of the miry clay and, and, the, and the stake with a name on was walked by Jesus when he went to heaven from the cross, when he rose, when he ascended, he took with them your name. And he took all name of all eternity, that all people that would be saved, and he pulled them along, and he said, and here they are, and now he has a little garden with all your... No, he doesn't, but he has a little garden with all your names on it. Salvation is not on earth, it is in heaven. Now, if it's in heaven, you can't get hold of it. Why? Because the scripture says in Peter that God is guarding it. 
We have a God cat. Our cat patrols our front door and looks to see whether mischievous men like David Simpkins knock at my door. And what happens is that my cat sussies at him. In fact, we had some visitors yesterday that came and our cat sussed at them. Oh no, it's a little... Can you imagine the sussing in heaven when people say, well, I think that I might lose my salvation. God is guarding it. Sus. (laughs) Don't mess with it. This is not our cat guarding it. This is not a dog guarding it like Roland's, you know, which actually only rolls over when you tickle it. But... (laughs) It does that. It's, it's not the dog guarding it. This is God guarding it in heaven. So my answer is, don't mess with it then. It's yours. So let me bring this to conclusion. This is my conclusion. Lean back and enjoy. Lean back. It is finished. The entire work of redemption has been brought to completion. Let me read to you J.C. Ryle who said this. Come on. (laughs) Lean back. He said, we rest our souls on a finished work. If we rest on them, on the work of Jesus Christ the Lord, we need not not fear either sin or Satan or the law that condemns us. We may lean back on those thoughts. That we have a saviour who has done all, paid all, accomplished all, performed all that is necessary for our salvation. We should be, let's be J.C. Riles, let's go through life leaning back. Because we are saved once and for all. Come on church, it is a finished work, lean back and enjoy. Amen.